Hi, everyone, and welcome to Hear, Hear, my audiobook podcast. I'm Dan Masterton, and I'm reading to you from my second fiction story, Abundance, Not Scarcity. If you'd like to get a paperback copy of the book, or if you'd like a free copy of this story as an ebook optimized for iPhone or iPad, visit my link tree at linktr.ee slash danmasterton. That's l-i-n-k-t-r dot e-e slash danmasterton. There's links there to all my writing, including the link to the paperback order form, as well as a link to the Google Drive folder with free ebook versions of both of my fiction stories. My previous story, What There Is To Be Done, is also available in this podcast feed. Just hop back to season one. I'd love to hear your thoughts and feedback about these stories. Find me on Twitter at thisladdan or email me at dmastert at alumni.nd.edu. Thanks for tuning in. I hope you enjoy this chapter and stick around at the end for a bonus reflection. May we all identify and come to understand God's ongoing invitations for us. Cheers. Noah's neighborhood was working class. It wasn't so well-to-do that each apron of grassy parkway was immaculately landscaped, or that every sidewalk was smooth and uncracked. Yet it also wasn't falling into disrepair or struggling to hold tenants in its residential low-rises, strip mall retail fronts, and blocks of houses. It was on the in-between, a place where folks could be happy with the reasonable quality and not overpay for their home. It was majority white, but just barely, and the stretches of apartment complexes created a density and hubbub that brought a different vibe than the areas further afield that were generally spaced out with single-family home after single-family home. Viderworks was just a few blocks up and over from where Noah lived, down a few familiar streets past a park. Noah made the first turn to round the corner as he headed home. Three blocks onward, he'd hang a left and be back. Halfway up the stretch, on that middle of the three blocks, was the park. A nice city park with a newish playground, a sizable green lawn, plenty of benches, and a picnic shelter. It was called Bethsaida Park. Noah most commonly heard people around town call it Bethesda Park and he was pretty sure that name was straight up a different thing. As Noah crossed the street just before the park, the letters of the sign came into focus under the streetlight. See, it's not Bethesda, Noah snarkily thought mentally, at no one in particular. He took a peek around, passed the sign, and saw the playground and lawn were totally empty. He wasn't even sure exactly what time it was or if the park was technically closed, but he figured he'd take a walk. A diagonal trail stretched from the corner of the block in through a couple little clusters of trees. From there it then forked to the shelter, the park, and the sports courts and fields. He looked over the empty, stagnant swings, past the vacant plastic slides worn down the middle to a lighter color than their walls, and beyond the sturdy structure of the newish picnic shelter and its shingled roof. His eyes then settled on an empty picnic table between the playground and the shelter, Its wooden top was a set of rectangular planks cut and secured to make a clean square. The posts below the table supported the tabletop and four rectangular wooden benches, a pleasing if rustic symmetry in the hodgepodge of the park district landscape. 
Beside the table was a green metal post, rusting to shed peels of paint and reveal blotches of brown, with a garbage can and recycling bin both chained to it. I bet they're both full of recyclable stuff and landfill stuff, Noah bemoaned. Why do people stink at sorting trash so badly? It feels so easy. But then again, so does returning shopping carts to the parking lot corrals, and people stink at that too. Then Noah started to think about who uses these tables, and who tosses their trash away in those cans. He thought of parents and grandparents and caretakers wrangling little ones for a snack or meal before they set them loose on the playground. He thought of teenagers who maybe didn't want to party and get messed up, but also didn't want to go sit at home, and chose instead to find social refuge at the park. He thought about people experiencing homelessness, who maybe found this reasonably comfortable and pleasant place to relax, who maybe even pick an item or two off the top of the garbage that could satisfy some hunger or thirst. Noah walked over to the bins, feeling more inclined to move than to sit still, and wanted to take a closer look. Maybe people are recycling better these days, he hoped. Before he could look in the recycling can, his nostrils caught a whiff of something pleasant, a tastier smell than he imagined catching off a trash pile. Once he was close enough to see over the rim, Noah's eyes beheld a half-eaten tray of nachos. Judging by the incomplete congeal in the cheese, these had to be fairly fresh. He looked across the street where a local greasy spoon food joint had turned off its lights and shut up shop for the night. He hypothesized that it was the origin point of these chips, hot peppers, and still warm cheese. There was no one else around in the park, so it had to have been at least a few minutes since this tray was discarded. Nonetheless, the smell was as tantalizing as ever. Wait a minute. Am I thinking about eating garbage nachos? I'm thinking about eating garbage nachos. I don't need to eat garbage nachos, Noah thought. In addition to his typical avoidance of eating from the trash, he was walking home from a restaurant where he just ate. Then Noah's stomach turned over, growling something mighty. It was a bubble and a gurgle and a howl all in one. His stomach was quite empty. Noah couldn't believe how hungry he felt. As he clutched his stomach to feel the lurch, he noticed his fingernails were pretty dirty, and the skin on his knuckles was weathered and worn. What is going on? Noah wondered, as he munched on a cheesy jalapeno pepper chip. Noah reached for two more and stuffed them in his mouth with a greedy hand. As his stomach calmed down a smidge, he reached into his pockets to gather himself. His hands landed on a few sparse items. He pulled out a single key, his wallet, and his phone. A single key? Where's my office key? Where's my desk drawer key? Noah self-interrogated. Where's my apartment key and mailbox key? All I have is my car key? Noah was getting frazzled. He opened his wallet to look around in all the slots and tuck away areas. Okay, driver's license, debit card. Where are my credit cards? What happened to my cashback rewards card? Where's my miles card? Noah flipped the wallet sideways to check for cash. Two singles? Why am I not honoring my $20 rule? Noah checked the inner pockets for a crumpled up bill or an IOU note to self. Nothing doing. He usually carried at least a $20 bill, buried in deep for unexpected needs. Okay, okay, let's pull up the old bank account. My debit card is here. I can go draw cash or buy stuff with my plastic. Noah needed to know he had money, so he grabbed his phone, which was working like normal. Relative to its peers in Noah's pockets, it seemed like a ray of light. He unlocked it and opened his banking app. His checking account usually had seven or eight grand, enough to float two or three months of must-pay bills if things went sideways. It was another of Noah's strong habits. He had paid his student debt off pretty aggressively to try to get out from under the weight in six or seven years, instead of the usual ten or more, 
Noah hoped to start contributing more to retirement once his loans were paid off, but he wasn't there yet, which was okay. When he'd spill into five figures of rainy day money, he would often loosen his belt a little bit to take a vacation or upgrade a bigger ticket item like his laptop or home tech. Earlier in the year, he had just got a new laptop and went on a nice lengthy European beach vacation. He also decided to pay off his car financing, which dented him a few thousand dollars, but dropped a monthly bill off his plate. Noah also benefited from remaining on his parents' family cell phone plan. All of this is to say the number Noah beheld didn't line up with what he expected. $153? I don't even have a grand in the bank? What in the hell happened? Noah looked up. He exchanged a seven-mile stare with the streetlight on the far corner of the park. The empty air offered no suggestions or solutions. Noah made a few clicking sounds with his mouth and tapped his free hand on his thigh, the other hand still holding the bad news on his phone screen. Okay, let's do some more digging. This isn't right. This can't be right. Nuh-uh. Noah wanted to look at his messages app next. Maybe the string of texts could help him figure out what happened. Noah was the kind of guy who didn't leave texts unread for too long. The little red number would usually be in the low single digits, and Noah would either respond within a few hours or just look at the message and move on. What Noah saw made his eyes bulge. 72 unread messages? What is going on, Noah? He tapped the green square with the white word bubble to open the app and see the thumbnails. The menu showed unread texts in almost every one of the top several conversations. Noah was baffled and wanted to know so badly what was in each conversation, but he didn't want to initiate red receipts, so he swiped down from the top of his screen to see the little previews. The first couple were from coworkers and casual friends. He scrolled past some, worried about you, and how are you doing, please check in with me when you can, messages. Then he came to the group chat with Michelle, Claire, and Francis. He read through their concerned inquiries. Claire asked, what are you going to do next? Do you have a plan? Michelle added, I'm ready to help. Talk to me about ideas when you're ready. Do you want to look into Catholic schools? Noah scrolled on to earlier notifications and saw Francis's initial salvo. Noah, I'm so sorry to hear about this latest bump in the road. Know that we're praying for you and we're ready to do whatever we can. If you say the word, I would take time off and drive to you to... And the preview cut off. Noah scrolled back up a bit, past some missed call and voicemail notifications. He couldn't listen to a voicemail, especially when it was from his mom. She had also texted just after that call. He unstacked those notifications to see some punchy mom notes. Noah, can you please call back? I need to hear your voice. Anne found a lengthier text. Noah, Francis called us and told us some updates that apparently you wouldn't share. Apparently things are getting quite bad. We don't want to force anything, but we want to help if you... And the box ended. Noah set his phone down on the table. He gingerly stood up. His legs were wobbly. He started to pace back and forth alongside the bench. He slowly lifted his arms in the air and then interlaced his fingers and rested them on his head, his elbows sticking sharply outward in a posture of frustrated energies. His shoulders rose with a big inhale of air that his mouth projected out with a popping whoosh. He let his hands relax and slip from the top of his head to rub his eyes a bit. He then gently but firmly slapped both of his cheeks twice and returned to the table where he had set down his phone. Email. All right, email. I keep my inbox tidy. If there's any luck here, it'd be that I'd have a paper trail in my email. Even the important work emails I usually forward to save in my home inbox, Noah started. Thinking maybe he had been reassigned or hit with a pay cut, Noah went to open the Outlook app that gave him access to his work email. 
He tapped the white O on the blue envelope icon and let the app fire up. Before the inbox could populate, a white error box popped up informing Noah that it couldn't reach the server. He tapped OK and tried to refresh the inbox by dragging it downward. The same error recurred. He made sure he hadn't latched onto a bad Wi-Fi network and that his data was flowing. Still nothing. Noah shook his head. He force exited the app and reopened it. It still couldn't reach the server. Uh, okay, what about personal email then? Let's see what I have in Gmail. When things are open-ended, I don't even create labels or folders. The stuff I have to deal with stays in the inbox and only gets filed away when it's a closed loop, Noah reasoned, thankful he was a bit anal about his inbox organization. He tapped the red and white envelope and his Gmail account connected without issue. He decided to scroll to the bottom to start with whatever the oldest message was. The last message in his inbox was from January 31st. It was early March now. His eyes were already wide before they read that date. Noah silently read the subject line, lease renewal unavailable. He opened the message from his building's management company. A quick skim showed that the building had been sold and the new owners planned to redevelop it. All current tenants were welcome to complete their leases or take a small move-out incentive to voluntarily terminate them. Noah remembered starting his first lease there on March 1st. He had returned from his volunteer year ready to look hard but decide slowly to find a job in an apartment deliberately. The eventual decision to accept his insurance gig was made after the start of a new year, and he hunted for his apartment after he had his first pay stub in hand. He had moved in and then annually renewed each March 1st since then. The very reasonable cost for his one-bedroom unit and the location near his work and nearish his parents was pretty exceptional. Apparently, he was no longer welcome to live there. Bummer, Noah thought. And weird. Who gets evicted when they're paying rent and in good standing? Noah shook that off. That couldn't be the whole story. Swiping back to his inbox, the next message above that was a forward from February 7. From himself. The subject line had a gobbledygook of forward, forward, forward such that he had to open it to see the content. The full length of the subject line got Noah to the meat of the situation. Notice of termination, two weeks. The attachment in the email was an abrupt message on company letterhead. Noah read each word painstakingly to himself in his head. Your position has been eliminated. As an at-will employee without a contract, your pay will be prorated to today's date. You will receive one additional paycheck for the equivalent of two weeks' work as severance. You are no longer required to report to the office, and your email account will be locked in 24 hours. Management. Noah was out of physical reactions. He sat in empty stillness. So that's why my email app couldn't populate the inbox, Noah concluded. Gonna have to find a new job. Back in his inbox, the next message was an automatic email from his credit card company. It was from mid-February and reminded him of his statement balance and payment due date. Typically, Noah put everything on his cards and cleared them at the end of the month to maximize his rewards, since he always had the cash to clear it before interest kicked in. Knowing he had bled his bank accounts down near $100, Noah thought, no need to open that message right now. Next in the red messages was a confirmation email from his old employer. It was an impersonal, pro forma message to all terminated employees. It reminded them of their final paycheck, the conclusion of their employer-based benefits, and the information for COBRA to cover healthcare, which they'd also receive in the mail. Not a word of gratitude, compassion, or sympathy. If only there was a door that they could allow to hit you on the way out, Noah riffed. After that, Noah found a February 28th final notice from the property management company to March 1 leaseholders. 
It described the process for checkout and inspection and reminded tenants that no security deposits had been taken, just a move-in fee. So no deposits would be returned and tenants with damaged units would be responsible for restitution payments. Thank God I keep my unit immaculate and barely hang anything on the walls, Noah thought as he exhaled. As he scrolled down to the bottom, there was a second message. It itemized three significant damage areas in unit walls and charged him $100 a pop to repair them. $300? My unit was so neat and tidy, and they're redeveloping it anyway. What do they need $300 to repair that for? Can I just come and do it and bring the materials myself? I apparently don't have $300. How much do a putty knife and spackle run these people? Noah was getting impossibly exasperated, yet he couldn't stop burrowing deeper. Back to his inbox, the second message from the top was from his girlfriend, Joan. He decided he couldn't just keep barreling on. He needed to read her words more carefully. He needed to take a quick break, reset his body, and clear his mind. He set down his phone once more and stood up from the wooden bench. Noah stepped away and squatted, with his knees bent hard. He bounced firmly on his haunches a bit to restart some blood flow and find new focus. He let out a hard exhale, this time hissing the air out through his teeth, and slowly sat himself back on the wooden bench. Emotions weren't bubbling up. Rather, the vigor and momentum Noah typically felt had hit heavy inertia. The stillness one might find in the ripest, most peaceful prayer was the polar opposite of the empty, vacant air Noah was breathing. To him, there was nothing in the nothingness. Noah opened Joan's March 3rd message and read, Hey Noah, I know it's been a super crazy and weird few weeks. I can't believe the string of bad luck you're on. I don't think I've ever seen it before in anyone I know. I always assumed this was the kind of thing that only happened to like, you know what, forget it. The important thing is that you don't beat yourself up. Anyone, even the hardest worker, can get caught in a squeeze if a company has to downsize. Anyone, even the best tenant, can get stuck without their apartment if the owners stop leasing. I think the difference comes in how you handle it and how you respond. I'm worried about how much you're refusing help, how much you're pushing people away. I'm worried you might be in denial about what's happening and what you need to do. I'm worried that if you don't let someone in to sort through that with you, that it will just get worse. I don't want a string of bad luck to ruin your life. So I don't know that it's the best thing for our relationship, and I'm not even confident that we can do it well, but I want you to know that you're welcome to move in with me. We would need to set up some ground rules and talk through how it would look, but I would do it to help stabilize you. Even if it hurt our relationship, it'd be worth it to me to have tried to help you straighten things back out. Please just let me know that you're doing okay and that you'll let someone help you, even if it's not me, Joan. Noah was emotionally flustered. He wasn't crying, no tears were available, but he was chewing on his cheeks and curling his lips around Ansley. I've never thought of moving in with Joan, Noah thought. I've never even thought of saying I love you yet. Doesn't that come first? Is this her way of trying to make me get more serious? Is this her way of making me a charity case and taking the upper hand? I miss my apartment. I miss my life, Noah vented. By fixating on the final small paragraph of Joan's email, Noah all but confirmed the concerns and suspicions she admitted, all while misunderstanding an authentic offer of compassionate help. Try as he might to calm down, Noah's gas pedal was stuck on cruise control to isolation and doubt. Well, there's one last email. Might as well open that too, Noah concluded, swiping out of Joan's heartfelt and simple message. The top email was from... himself? From time to time, Noah would find an interesting link or spontaneously think of a project or errand. 
His instinctive way to record it and remind himself to loop back to it, drop it in an email to himself and leave it in his inbox. This note to self had the familiar subject line of links. Noah seized upon a glimmer of optimism and opened it. Indeed, the message was links. In all caps was a short phrase to describe each link, and then below that header, he had pasted the long-form URL that had turned blue for himself to click through. Food stamps, he read silently, with a link to the state registration portal for SNAP benefits. Food pantry, above a link to the regional food depository and its listing of sites. Unemployment, over the site for the state unemployment insurance portal. Noah had seen enough. He swiped out of the email and exited the app. He put his phone in his pocket. How did it get like this? How did this go off the rails so hard and so fast, Noah thought. Two months ago I had money, a job, and a home, and now it's all gone? I'm not a drug addict. I'm not an alcoholic. I'm not a dropout. How could this all happen to me? And why am I treating people this way? I love my parents. I love my friends. I sort of love my girlfriend. Why am I isolating myself and leaving offers of help unread or unanswered? That's not like me. Why am I changing? Noah couldn't wrap his head around this version of himself. There was a dissonance between who he knew he was and how this Noah was acting. He had imagined what he might do in tough spots, saving rainy day money for a job loss or crashing with friends and family between leases. Yet in this moment, he was doing none of that and spiraling away from who he knew he was. He couldn't grasp the impact that joblessness and homelessness had made on the fabric of his being. Noah stood up to aimlessly walk this off a bit. That squared picnic table and nacho-infused garbage can had totally lost their romance, so Noah began a slow lap around the playground. Just then, a few folks walked down the sidewalk that ran along the street on the edge of the park lawn. Noah could hear their voices as he walked parallel with them, going in the same direction but from several yards away. Noah could see their outfits, a man in jeans and a clean button-down shirt, and two women in dresses, tights, and fancy shoes, probably on their way home from dinner or out to drinks. Meanwhile, Noah was in a t-shirt and track pants, which he assumed were some of his only clothes, along with whatever he stuffed into his car upon move-out. He was clearly starting to smell, and dirt was caking onto his hands and face in his hygieneless existence. Noah could hear them talking, too, but he wasn't sure whether they had noticed him and criticized him, or if they were simply chatting without even realizing he was walking there, too. Either way, the distance between them and the divergent paths they walked underscored the seeming faraway place where Noah had found himself this evening. Noah turned to continue his playground circle while the walkers continued on out of sight. As Noah reached the far end of his loop, he came upon the playground swing set. In the stark solitude of the dark night, Noah decided to plop down in a swing. He settled his rear end into the U-shaped seat and let his feet dangle. He didn't have it in him to pump his legs. Noah just sat, stupefied. The pendulum effect of his weight after climbing on the swing provided him a smidge of momentum to swing a few feet back and forth. Then he heard a noise. He felt a noise. The curl of the swing seat had pinched his phone tightly in his pocket between the rubber seat and his leg. The buzz of a text alert bounced through his bones in the chain of the swing. Noah pulled his phone out to see the preview. It was Joan. He temporarily forgot how fatigued he was of reading bad news on his phone and unlocked it to read her message. How was your dinner with your friends? Did you end up doing a year in review? Ha, I kind of hope so. You needed that. Hope you had fun. Text me tomorrow after you drop them off. Noah was glad to hear from her. But wait, 
Didn't I just have a ton of unread messages? He asked himself. He tapped back to the list of messages where he saw no blue unread dots. He exited and went to open his work email, which he never, ever did on Saturdays. He had new messages, of course, and no server issues. Once more, he went to the home screen, and this time he opened his banking app. There before him was the typical amount of rainy day money he was used to seeing. Still in the swing, Noah took a mighty deep breath. His hands were clean, his inboxes were normal, his bank account was healthy. Noah shook his head, not in denial, but to shake loose the weighty vibes, almost like a dog shakes the water from their fur. He had a momentary deluge of feeling shell-shocked as he settled back into present reality. Noah's eyes refocused in the nighttime dark. He resolutely nodded a few times to himself, just little small chin bobs, as he transitioned his bleary mind from that apparent nightmare to begin processing what he'd just experienced, all while he was still sitting in a swing in a park. With a sigh, Noah began to pump his legs. So when I was in college, I was in Chicago with some friends and we were walking around uh, downtown on the big busy streets and we came across this young adult man who was maybe a little bit older than us and he started to tell us a story about how he was mugged, how he had all of his money taken from him, how he filed a police report but he didn't feel like he was ever going to get any closure or he was ever going to get his money back and how he really just needed money for a train ride. He pulled out a slip of paper where He had talked to somebody about how much it would cost him to get a train ride home and how much he needed to cover his expenses to get back and get himself kind of situated again. It came out to like 40 or 50 bucks. I was with a friend. We were going to meet some other friends. We wanted to go to Shedd Aquarium and have some fun in the city. And I had a few bucks with me. And for whatever reason, I decided I'm just going to give this kid what he's asking for. And hopefully it works out for him. He was really grateful. He gave me a phone number where he said I could call and ask for his dad. His dad would find a way to repay me the money after he got home and talked to him about it. And I said, okay, sure, great. I was a little nervous, but for whatever reason in the moment, that's just what I decided to do, and it felt like it was fine. We had a fun day. The next day, I pulled out that slip of paper with the number and called it, and sure enough, the number was fake. They'd never heard of the person who I was told to ask for, and whoever this person was, probably had scammed me. And I was a little bit annoyed. I was a little bit peeved. You know, as a college kid, 50 bucks was kind of a lot of money to lose. But at the end of the day, I kind of just let it go. It wasn't something that I was going to hang on to or something that I was going to let make me too jaded or cynical. Definitely made me think of, you know, other stories people had told, you know, getting the advice from people that if someone asks you for something, point them towards an agency that you donate to and kind of take yourself out of the equation personally. It's something that kind of pinballed around in my head as I started to work with uh, high school students teaching and doing campus ministry and especially taking them for service and service learning. And one of the things I would talk about with them is if someone on the street who maybe is experiencing homelessness or is experiencing some kind of need asks you for help, what are the options? What can you do? And I would have them kind of brainstorm through the different things that were possible and talk through some of the pros and cons of giving money or giving food or giving some other item like a piece of clothing or not doing anything. And we would talk through the different reasons why certain options were better or worse. But the thing that we would always try to land on at the end is, regardless of what you do, treat the person with dignity, make eye contact, see if you can learn their name, 
see if you can have an opportunity to share a little bit about yourself and to learn what that person is going through or what they're thinking or feeling. And see if you can, regardless of what you decide to do or not do, try to uphold that person's dignity in the moment. Easier said than done. And something that even in the moments when on service learning trips, we would encounter people who are experiencing homelessness, we would struggle. Uh, I remember having a conversation with a man experiencing homelessness under the tracks at Belmont Station in Lakeview in the city of Chicago. And we started to have a decent conversation. And then we began to smell the alcohol in his breath and notice the spilled bottle of liquor beside him and just decided to cordially wrap up the conversation and start to walk away. It's certainly very tricky and something that I never really had a perfect answer for when I was working with young people and something that I still don't have a perfect answer for myself. One of the things that I hoped to get to with Noah in this story was an experience of prayer that pointed him towards something that was true and impactful and helped him grow that wasn't just a positive, ideal, fully uh, perfected scenario. Something that was a little more challenging, a little more raw, and maybe something that was a little more unexpected. But one of the things about all of Noah's experiences is that all of them are meant to be God's grace moving towards things that he's already thinking or feeling, but perhaps bringing them to greater fruition or greater fullness with greater clarity and depth than he might have previously seen. I think in a way this chapter is meant to be a sort of practice and empathy through prayer, something that maybe God helps Noah realize through prayer that there are things in his life that could have gone differently. There are circumstances that could have unfolded differently where Noah could end up in a situation of poverty and homelessness, even though he comes from a privileged background, even though he has set himself up with stability and success. There are still curveballs that can come that are unexpected and can put you into really difficult places. And I think one of the things I always hoped for as a pastoral minister who was bringing young people into direct service and encounter and relationship with people who are often marginalized was that not only would they have their eyes opened or realize the, you know, the things they take for granted or the things they could be more grateful for, but to realize that the people they're serving who are coming because they're hungry or experiencing homelessness are not that different from them. And that if they take a moment to think about what may have gotten these people to this point, they can realize that not only injustice, but also bad luck and rough circumstances can kind of come for anyone at any time. And if they come together in the right way or the wrong way, can put people in a situation where they're coming to a food pantry or coming to a shelter because they're experiencing those needs. That's all for this episode. Remember, all the links for this book and my other writing is at my link tree, linktr.ee slash danmasterton. That's l-i-n-k-t-r dot e-e slash danmasterton. Thanks for listening, and I hope your gifts and passions are meeting the needs of the people and world around you. Instrumentals for this podcast were improvised and performed by Jason Pham.